Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, everyone. It's a Baseball America podcast. Along with Matt Eddy, I am John Manuel. Welcome to the Thursday edition of the Prospect Handbook podcast. The last few weeks, it's been me and J.J. Cooper, but J.J.'s on assignment down in Florida. If I can get a hold of him as we record this Thursday afternoon, I intend to try to get a hold of him and stitch that together and do a uh, quick podcast interview with J.J. toward the end of this podcast. But Matt and I, we're going to talk B.A.'s top 20 rookies. We're going to talk about the art. We're going to give you our hot takes on Adam LaRoche and that unique situation with the White Sox. We might even talk some uh, major league managers and how that profile is changing uh, in the big leagues. But I uh, want to focus the prospect uh, po- portion of the podcast this week on the pro side. And we are, as always, brought to you by SeatGeek. And we will talk a little bit more about SeatGeek later on. We really love having SeatGeek aboard, especially at this time of year uh, with March Madness, the NBA playoffs uh, approaching. And, of course, the Major League Baseball season approaching and spring training underway. Great time of year to download the SeatGeek app. But, Matt, let's, let's start off briefly with, like, this week's big news in the Major Leagues. And it really is unprecedented to have the big news in the Major Leagues be about a 14-year-old. Mm-hmm. And it's not even Bryce Harper on the cover of Sports Illustrated when he was 16. It's Adam LaRoche and a guy who grew up, son of a big leaguer, who grew up around Major League clubhouses, trying to do the same thing with his own son and according to all the reports walking away from the Chicago White Sox although LaRoche has not publicly spoken on this to our knowledge not that I've seen to confirm this but to all accounts that he walked away from the Chicago White Sox because team president Kitty Williams the former GM asked that he not have his son Drake around uh, in the clubhouse every day now Kitty Williams never said I hate the Drake um, to his credit, but he did seem to hate the fact that the Drake was around the clubhouse all year. Do you think this would be happening at all if the White Sox hadn't laid a giant egg last year and been, if they weren't last in the league, they were close to last in batting, runs, on base, slugging. Runs. It was a terrible <laughs> offensive performance by the White Sox last year. Mm-hmm. Adam LaRoche was one of the contributors to it. Do you think this would be happening if the White Sox had been even mediocre last season? Yeah, the, the cynical side of me asked that same question. Like, what if this was Chris Sale or Jose Abreu's kid? You know, an, an established good player coming off a good year. Great point on Abreu because you also have the cross-cultural thing. <laughs> uh, it would be, I think, perceived very differently uh, for a different player. Yeah, well, how about you? I mean, to me, <laughs> I think you, obviously you're going to give him a little bit different rope. I would think a little bit more rope to a guy who grew up in big league clubhouses, just like Adam LaRoche did. His dad, Dave, was a big league pitcher. 
I mean, he probably doesn't see this as anything other than normal. Um, there certainly seems to also be a lot of track record of Adam LaRoche having his son with him in the clubhouse pretty much start to finish. We're both dads. I have to say, I wouldn't want my son to be here every day. And our jobs aren't as monotonous as baseball jobs. Maybe you need, maybe he needs that um, to keep the game from being so monotonous. Because I came to your cubicle when we saw the news about LaRoche before the news about Drake. And my first note to you was like, aha, another 36-year-old retiring. Another guy who doesn't want to put up with the grind. To me, it was more anecdotal evidence that the game is cleaner because I just think it's harder to be a good big leaguer at age 35 than it was in the pre-Mitchell Report era. Um, I do think that's part of it. I still think that's part of it. The game is hard. The pitchers are so good. They all throw the snot out of the ball. It's harder to hit. And you don't have much help anymore if you're 35, 36 years old. Maybe he felt that this is what made it easier because it certainly 634 OPS last year didn't make it easier for LaRoche. But I guess the other question is, do you think it's reasonable that Kenny Williams, even though he's not the GM or the manager, and according to Ken Rosenthal and Jeff Passan, we've done a lot of reporting on this today for Fox Sports and Yahoo Sports respectively, both guys seem to be reporting that uh, Rick Hahn, the GM, and Robin Ventura had both signed off on this, the manager. Mm-hmm. Do you think uh, Kenny Williams is within his, uh, I mean, I guess obviously he's within his right to do it. He's the team president. But do you think he should have done this? Or do you think this is a smart move on his part? Well, it's hard to say. Uh, you know, <laughs> given the last two seasons the White Sox have had at the major league level, doing something to shake them up. Uh, could be beneficial, you know. I agree. B- more focus on preparation, less goofing around, less interfering with the work other players are trying to do. Even though the players publicly say that it was not a distraction, having, right. having Drake around. There's no win for any player to come out and say, "Yeah, I didn't like having the 14 year old around." You know, that too. <laughs> There's no win, but could I see Carlos Rodon? And when does he go to school? That's a great question. <laughs> does he have a private? School teacher, but you could you could could you could you see Abigail Garcia, you know, being like, you know, I don't like having this guy around. I don't like there being a kid around, right. and I also am not a truly established big leaguer. I haven't had success. I don't know how to articulate this in English either, and I don't want to say the wrong thing. Right? Could you see that, or could you? And, see and did a teammate or a coach right trigger spur this, this exactly? Right. So, but. <laughs> It also seems, it's the way that Will Lingo put it to me this morning, and George Shelton, our ad executive, George said, hey, you know, my wife was asking me about this this morning. So it's on the Today Show. So this is going to be the subject that people talk about with baseball. Like the time time Daniel Murphy took paternity leave? Yeah. Like last year or two years ago? Yeah. Or or the time that, or like this, earlier this spring with all the stuff with Bryce Harper that we talked about on last week's podcast. It feels like it has to be a controversy now, and almost or almost like news of the weird for baseball to get in the national consciousness. It's a little frustrating hmm. outside of the baseball talk. Um, you know, basketball certainly seems like it has more currency, not just this, this time of year, more cultural currency in the general media and the general public. Baseball fans, I think, are they're 
There are more hardcore baseball fans than there are hardcore, I think, NBA fans. And I think there, and I think the hardcore baseball fans are more all in than hardcore NBA fans. But there are a lot more casual fans of other sports, I feel like, than of baseball. And this is an example where this is what it takes for baseball to bleed over into the Today Show or national media like that. Because if only there were a congressional hearing about this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that would make it even more delectable. <laughs> it's definitely a weird story, though. And uh, now here's another question. Somewhere in the Oakland A's camp is Rangel Ravalo going. If only they hadn't traded me, I could make get that in right there. Well, that, that's a, that's a good question. Like, what do you do from a personnel standpoint for the White Sox? I, I would might be inclined to put Frazier at first and DH Abreu, play Lowry at third, but then you open up that second base wound again from last year. Right, <laughs> it's a wound. And, and but La, but Lowry doesn't really solve the defensive part of it. I don't think. I don't expect him to, but. Maybe he will. He doesn't seem like he does. Um, there's not another obvious DH really on the roster. Does I, think, this... I think Garcia is who they're talking about because he's having a good spring, you know, through two weeks. Avisail? Yeah, Avisail Garcia. So does that mean Jerry Sands or J.B. Shuck in right field? Or I guess they did sign Austin Jackson. Right. So I suppose that Austin Jackson, actually, when you're really looking at it, he's probably the guy who benefits the most from this. I did the White Sox top 32 years ago. You did it this year. There's no internal answer, is there? <laughs> exactly. Jason Coates. <laughs> you know what? Jason Coates is actually an interesting... Op- this is the best thing that ever happened to Jason Coates' <laughs> pro career. He has the 2012 cape. I will say that Jason Coates is a little sneaky little yes, he'll pot- be possibility. Yeah. Not on the 40-man. It gives him a chance to get on the 40-man, doesn't it? Well, no, no, he, eventually, is, yeah. Is he on the 40-man? No, he's not. He is the, oh, he is. No, he's a he non-roster invite Yeah, I would expect him to be up this year. He was at Charlotte most of last year. And, and productive. Skipped over double A. You know, that's an intriguing possibility. Hmm. Hmm. Not that we weren't intrigued by J.B. Shuck. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I believe J.B. Shuck once appeared as your best rookie in the handbook for the Astros one year when I did them. Because I don't know why. But he did have one decent year, I suppose, for the Angels. But hmm. J.B. Shuck seems like he's going to be a guy who's going to be around when he's 32. We're going to be like, wait, J.B. Shuck still? <laughs> Hang around the big league. So now JB Shuck never appeared in our top twenty rookies in the preseason, but he is going to allow us to segue. I don't think there's a White Sox guy who we considered for this year's top twenty rookies. Um, that, but they uh, traded Trace Thompson if he was still eligible for the award. And I think last year we considered Micah Johnson. Did we rank Micah Johnson last year? We did not. No, we did. We ranked. No, we ranked Carlos Rodon last year. Yeah. At the start. Um, now, usually you shepherd our top 20 rookies through. This year you weren't available to do that. And we had a different kind of meeting, and we wound up kind of with a, a different kind of list, Matt, than we usually wind up with. Um, and, you know, the, you can find all this at BaseballAmerica.com. And if you've noticed, got a little web refresh that happened this week. Drop-downs, the return for Baseball America's website. Uh, we used to be crazy top tw- uh, crazy drop-down heavy. Now we eliminated drop-downs. Now we're back to drop-down. Um, so let us know if you have feedback. John Manuel at BaseballAmerica.com. Obviously, you can tweet at me, at John Manuel BA. He's at Matt Eddie BA. Matt, this year's top 20 rookie list really focused more on talent than opportunity. I think that really the person who sums that up the most for me is J.P. Crawford. I mean, I know he has double-A time uh, and good double-A time. Hasn't played in triple-A. He's pretty young. 
I was surprised at how far he wound up being on our list. Uh, who else jumped out to you just about this top 20 list? Uh, and what did you think of the uh, Japanese font on the cover for Kenta Maeda? <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, with, with any sort of ranking, you know, I think our, our first focus is usually omissions. Snubs. Right. right. Who got snubs. snubbed? That's right. Um, well, our, our work product, maybe you can still see, we've left it up on the whiteboard here. We've got a lot of names, um, and Josh Norris's uh, script up here as he was keeping notes for us. Um, a lot of bad nicknames up there too that he tried to write. Yeah, some. Of the, I mean, the standouts for me, like a, a team, the Phillies and Braves are going to have a lot of opportunity for rookies. Yep. So, you look at some of the major league ready guys, especially on the Braves. I looked at Aaron Blair and Malik Smith. We can. We can. Start with these guys and then circle back to your question. No, that's a good idea. Question, but Bo- both Braves, because I, I, on my personal top 20 rookies list, well, this is what I wrote, and then I had Smith and Blair, as you can see, right at the top of guys who did not make the list, as well as former Brave, Jose Peraza. The Reds, I think, are another team yeah. that fits into that. They're going to have a lot of rookie opportunity. Um, I'm not sure they'll have as many as they had last year on the pitching side, but Jose Peraza, I felt, was... An omission, a snub, as it were. Uh, perfect March Madness term. Um, Smith and Blair, though, both guys you had in the Southern League top 20 last year. Uh, which of those guys do you think is more ready to contribute in 2016, irrespective of what their uh, opportunity looks like at this moment? I would say Blair. It's the second half in AAA. You know, he's, he's a finished product. I don't think he's ever going to be more effective than he is now. Yeah, that's a good, po- that's a good way to put it. He... And, he, and he's pretty effective. You know, he's a ground ball oriented pitcher without, um, with good control, but without outst- without outstanding individual pitches. His path to getting better really would be going from good control and okay command to great control and good command, being like a real command oriented, almost kind of like a best case scenario, kind of like a Dan Heron type, right? Yeah, I'm not sure he has that kind of ceiling. Right. But approximating that kind of ceiling, a, a 200-inning number three-slash-four starter kind of guy. Yeah, and who knows where the Braves are lining up behind Tehran this year. So Blair will be up pretty soon, I'd imagine. Because they also have Manny Benuelos, who's kind of similar, still rookie eligible. I think I actually considered uh, ranking Benuelos as well um, in that top 20. And I think the fact that the Braves have so many pitching options – that they have to sift through this year. Guys who aren't rookie eligible anymore, like Matt Whistler, Matt Fultonevitz, Mike Fultonevitz. Um, I think those two guys actually contributed. If, if memory serves, I'm trying to go back to the staff meeting. Um, I think that was a reason why those guys did not get traction in our meeting, why Aaron Blair and Benuelos didn't get any traction. Blair got a race, but Blair was up here somewhere. Um and then you mentioned uh, Mal. We mentioned Mal- Malik Smith, another guy. Where it's, it's you know, the, I guess if Ender Inciarte hadn't been part of that package, yeah, I would think that, that Smith would have had a pretty clear path to playing time at some point. Yeah, until they trade Inciarte, I guess. But it'd, right, it'd be, it'd be odd to have a lineup with both Smith and Inciarte in there. I th- yeah, it would be. I think you know, two left-handed hitting, speed-oriented players and born yeah. and born. Yeah. That's, <laughs> And this year we did no, Oliveira would probably be the other outfielder. That's the guy we did rank. We did rank uh, Hector Oliveira, and a tough guy to rank. Uh, a tough guy to know what to do with, frankly. Um, yeah. And we wound up ranking him. Where do we wound up ranking him? Uh, why did I navigate away from that page? 
eleventh. Uh, and I think you know Hector Oliveira is one of the tougher guys to figure here. Other Cuban hitters have, with his track record and tools, have adjusted a little bit quicker to pro ball to the big leagues. The length in his swing and the injuries that he had last year seem to have inhibited him from. They seem to have made his learning curve a little bit longer. I feel like we'll know about Hector Oliveira basically within the next month. Like in April, we'll know whether he's whether we were right or wrong to rank him in the top twenty. Do you feel like the Braves are going to give him that much more time, considering that the you know the Dodgers paid half of his contract, twenty eight million dollar bonus, was all Dodger paid? Yeah, I expect him to be a fixture for most of the year, unless he's so bad they have to send him down. For if they send him the boot the early, breather, <laughs> that would be that would be a bad sign for Hector Oliveira. <laughs> Um, so you like this ranking, Oliveira, where we ranked them? 11 is where he wound up. Yeah, uh, it's tough to say. I, mean, I do like the international professional guys on these sorts of lists where it's more short-term focused. Right. So, uh, yeah, I think it's defensible. And that is, and that's a great way to put it. It's a short-term focus. Maeda as well. We don't expect him to be great for a long time. But we expect him to be pretty good and in the short term. And if you look uh, between Seeger, Buxton... Stephen Matz, Trey Turner, Orlando Garcia, J.P. Yeah. Crawford, Berrios, Snell, Craw- Reed. All those guys have been on the cover of the magazine in the last six <laughs> months. So Maeda was like the only guy in the top 10 <laughs> or top 11, counting Oliveira from last spring, who hadn't been on the cover of BA lately. Yeah, we started with Crawford, and I do like him a lot. I like that ranking. You know, he reminds me, I shared this with you last week, and I'm not sure if you agreed with me or not, but he reminds me somewhat of where uh, Francisco Lindor was last year. Right. As a as a, as a um, reliable fielder with a good uh, plate control. Yeah, as far as the um, those parts of the profile were similar, I think we kind of thought more of Lindor's glove mm-hmm. than we do of Crawford's and a little bit less of his bat. And then Lindor had this really good big league season where the power showed more than he'd shown in the minor leagues. Well, if Crawford kind of improves on his perceived weakness where his defense is better than we thought and the bat just lives up to expectations, he's going to be a special player. Because his bat, I, I, mean, I don't think I noticed that that was the, one of the better 250 hitting seasons for a 20-year-old in double-A. And he controlled the strike zone so much. And I guess the thing that gives you confidence about him is not just that he controls the strike zone, but that he makes impact when he hits it, right? Yeah. Yeah. From an offensive standpoint, yeah, he's he's... Yeah, I mean, Seager's obviously the, the best among right. rookie shortstops. But, yeah, Crawford and Arcia, that's, a, that's another nice group just like we had this year with, with Correa and Edison right. Russell. Do we have other shortstops so, on this list? I don't in know other words, doing. if you're playing in a, in a dynasty league, don't overpay for a, a hot young shortstop because there's more on the way. Yeah, if you don't get, Tur- if you don't get uh, uh, Seager, you could get Turner. If you don't get Turner, you can get Arcia. If you don't get Arcia, you can get Crawford. And honestly, after Seager... I can see the other three guys being in any order, mm-hmm. ceiling-wise. And if one of those guys outpaced Corey Seager, ceiling-wise, it's not like if there's a chasm, you know. J.P. Crawford has a lot of similarities to Corey Seager. He's never quite done it in the minor leagues the way that Seager has, which gives us so much confidence in Corey Seager. And I like Seager's swing better. The scouts I've talked to have all said that the low-maintenance swing and the strength that he has in his swing, combined with play discipline, bat speed. He really doesn't have... He checks every box, basically, that you want mm-hmm. offensively. You know, um, he has had some injury issues already this spring, so right. that might make things more difficult for him. 
Um, one thing that you pointed out, Matt, is some of our past lists. And last year, obviously, it was an all-time rookie class. What uh, Outside of Steven Souza, who I will take full, <laughs> full blame for, really, Steven Souza and the Cubans, Oliveira and Castillo, yes. and Tomas, those are kind of our bigger misses on that list, and then the fact that we were a little bit light on Lindor. In terms of names, we got most of the... Names at the at the back. I guess we didn't have Conforto. We didn't have Schwarber. We didn't think those twenty fourteen no. draft guys would rise so quickly. No, <laughs> that was unexpected. And, I, and it's a great group. Yeah, throwing Rodon in there. Um, I, I am gonna. This is maybe a little bit unexpected. Jorge Soler, Jock Peterson. That we had at two and three last year. We had Bryant going in. Bryant won it. Which of those guys, uh, Soler and Peterson, after one year, which one do you feel better about going forward? Because Jock Peterson certainly showed. It's a pretty ridiculous ceiling. Drew a ton of walks, hit a lot of home runs, hit a lot of long home runs in the home run derby. He saw the snap. Yeah. I mean, Soler has ridiculous raw power. I don't, I don't you know that you can say that Soler has more raw power than Peterson. And Peterson's playing center field, but the swing and miss for Jock Peterson in the second half was pretty disturbing. Yeah, he might be a little miscast as a leadoff guy. I know the on-base percentage is great. I might like to see him a little lower in the lineup, maybe. Mm-hmm. I, I think I would take Peterson. You have the some extra dimensions of the defense and the speed. Right. I, I agree. And a, little, a little bit more value as a center fielder. His high, you know, he, his first half, even with all the strikeouts, was pretty great. Um, obviously proved unsustainable. But it does feel like that's something that he should be able to make some adjustments to. Um, he doesn't have to swing out of his shoes to uh, impact the baseball. So... You'd like to see a little bit more back control and see if he trade traded off a little bit. I'm still high on Solaire, but I mean the Cubs have such outfield depth right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's hard to see what exactly he's gonna do. Yeah, our other miss in that group, Steven Souza, do you like his chances of improving? He was almost like a foreign uh <laughs> impact uh rookie with his age at his advanced age. He seems like he may have missed his big shot in Tampa. Yeah, I don't have a great any great strong opinion on him? What do you think? Like I, I just I'm a Souza guy. I was one of the drivers of him being that high. I just I think he's athletic enough to figure it out. Um, I don't know. I don't know. He just he has he's. We might have read a little bit too much into the small sample size of that 90 game monster Triple A season in 2014. That might have swayed me too much. MVP. Yeah. Oh, and just a dominant year. Yeah, we have we have Addison Russell on this list at, toward the end, but Carlos Correa absent. We we had no idea how to how to process that broken leg. Broken leg had never played above high A. Yeah. Um, I do remember JJ Cooper being very high on him and hearing great reports about his athleticism and speed coming back um, when he was coming back to spring training camp. But let's let's also acknowledge we do this top twenty rookies list in early March, so it's before spring training even really starts. So. It's a little bit challenging. Our 2014 list, um, Matt, a couple interesting things about that one that I also want to touch on. Um, first off, uh, Archie Bradley, still eligible. <laughs> um, who else is still eligible on that list? Um, Jamison Tyone, still eligible. Um, and then a couple of these guys. You know, Xander Bogarts was one for us. Tanaka, two. Jose Abreu, three. Abreu wound up being, I believe, our Ten- rookie of the year that year. Tanaka and Abreu, I think, gave me a lot of... Uh, what proved to be misplaced confidence in the international players. And on the, the 2015 year. list, we have all those Cuban players bunched up toward the top. Yeah. Rusne Castillo and Oliveira. Right. I think that that was a mistake. I think that's fair. <laughs> uh, that's fair. 
Um, you know, and Kevin Gossman here at seven. I kind of thought Kevin Gossman would have figured it out by now. And if he doesn't, I think it's going to be very hard for the Orioles to contend this year. They really need yeah. Kevin Gossman to be good. Well, the Orioles, yeah. L- lurking down at 17 that year and 12 the, the next year, Noah Syndergaard. Uh, we always had a lot of faith in. I feel like we were higher on Syndergaard going into 14 than we were going into 15. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think that's explained why. Because he, his ERA was not good at Vegas. I think right. that certainly gave some people pause. And the breaking ball still was inconsistent in high A. It seemed like it was inconsistent in AAA as well. But um, you know, no questions anymore. <laughs> exactly, he's answered that question. The 2013 rookie list, Matt. The, this is the one I always remember because we we were all in on Profar and and Dylan Bundy and Oscar Tavares. Moment of silence. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but yeah, we were all in on those guys. Bruce Rondon. I mean, Bruce Rondon. We thought Tyler Skaggs still hasn't come through. Certainly has opportunity this year. Mike Olt just mm. picked up today on what minor league waivers by like his third team in the last yeah, couple months. Yeah, he's just on that wash. Chris Archer all the way down at seventeen. Yeah, um, guy we underrated pretty clearly. Yeah, and, and it was addressed very well recently in JJ's. Uh, Story about command and control and Cliff Lee, how Cliff Lee's uh, retirement spurred this conversation for JJ. Like, he just didn't realize how wild Cliff Lee had been as an amateur and early in his big league career. Yeah. And wound up becoming one of the premier command guys of his generation. And kind of what were the traits that allowed him to do that and who are pitchers who faced these similar questions. And Chris Archer was one of them. I remember very distinctly going on a must have been Sirius XM radio with Jim Bowden and raving about uh, seeing Chris Archer here with the Pan Am Games team that went to the Dominican Republic in 2010. A team that also mm. featured, if memory serves, I think Eric Hosmer might have been on that team, maybe not. I know Mike Trout was on that team. I know Chris Archer was on that team. I know Brett Jackson was on that team because I interviewed Brett Jackson at that practice the day that Cal announced they were going to cut their baseball program which, of course, they didn't. They did for, like, six months. They were on their deathbed, and then they resuscitated the program. But, um, yeah, seeing Chris Archer pitch in person should have made me higher on him because his delivery was just so easy. Uh, there were no red flags. And the athleticism and the aptitude are the two things that kind of carried him to, uh, to more success. That's the Baseball America podcast with John and Matt. I need to remind everybody that we are sponsored by SeatGeek. And, again, we want to thank SeatGeek for their sponsorship of the Baseball America podcast. We want to ask if you've ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online. Most sites make it complicated and then try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell tickets for sports and for concerts. In fact, this weekend, I'm a, based here in Durham, over in Raleigh, the NCAA tournament basketball, first and second round at the PNC Arena. I already hit SeatGeek today looking for tickets and I love the way that SeatGeek color codes it so that the $1,000 tickets are in red and the $120 tickets, the good buys, are in green. SeatGeek pulls all the tickets available on other sites into one place. You save time, you never miss a deal, and you can set alerts for upcoming games. SeatGeek will let you know if the ticket prices fall. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value so you can immediately find underpriced seats. Before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Best of all, SeatGeek's always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, SeatGeek shows you the full ticket price from start to finish and never surprises you with huge fees at checkout. 
So remember, Baseball America podcast listeners can get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get that $20 rebate on tickets, download the free SeatGeek app on iTunes or wherever you get your app for your smartphone. Go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. Enter promo code BA20, that's BA20, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code BA20 today. And we thank SeatGeek for their sponsorship of the Baseball America podcast. Uh, Matt, let's just uh, go right back to our preseason top 20 rookies. And some of the guys who missed uh, in our list, uh, guys whose uh, kiss should have been on our list. I I am curious what you thought of the back of the list where we we snuck on Tyler Glasnow and Lucas Giolito. Those are two guys who could be kind of like Lindor was last year where you don't see a clear path to where they're going to be on there, but if they get to the big leagues, you could see them both being very successful. Could you? Could you not? Oh sure, yeah. And you know the the sort of the hard throwing young starting pitcher never goes out of style. Team, right. Team, teams need what on average eight or nine starting pitchers to get through a season. Oh yeah, at least so. These days. When you can throw in somebody in a pennant race, I mean both these teams figure to be competitive. You mentioned the Braves as a team that's going to have a lot of opportunity. The Phillies mm-hmm. as a team is going to have a lot of opportunity. Was there a Phillies player or two that you would have had on your personal top 20 or that you would have argued us to, to include? I would have thought about Nick Williams. He was how about, discussed. How about you? Um, Nick Williams was discussed. Actually, it was kind of like an ex-Ranger versus current Ranger showdown between him and Mazzara. Yeah, it could be interesting because he's the sort of player who could get off to a fast start and really build a great season line based on his early start. Right, and counting numbers. I think he'll have an adjustment period, but... We talked about Max Kepler. Yeah. Similar genre of player. Um, Not sure, pardon me, I'm not sure just how much opportunity Kepler would have. You know, Mazzara, I like having Mazzara on the list from a talent standpoint. I don't know that he has opportunity um, with the, the, especially with Ian Desmond signing in Texas... I didn't see Mazar from an opportunity standpoint. I see him if he were if it were flipped and he were in Philadelphia, Mazar might be in my top five for this list because I do think he has advanced hitting ability. That advanced hitting ability is what got him on our list this high. Did you guys talk about any Brewers in addition to Arcia? You know, Lopez is the back of the list at sixteen. Um, we did not talk about other Brewers that I can recall. Are there, are Brett, there other? Because they did. Brett that's another maybe. You know, he didn't come up. Um, actually, I think I think Ben Badler brought him up. Uh, if you buy the prospect handbook, you know Ben is very high on Brent Phillips, number 11 on his personal top 50. Um, wound up more in the 60 range in the top 100. So I think Ben brought up uh, Brent Phillips. Again, for me, they, they he needs another year, I would say a full year in the minor leagues before I thought he would be ready. Um, not just ready, but also like... Yeah, I know they're rebuilding, but it felt like they between Domingo Santana, uh, Ryan Braun, and who are they playing in center field? I forget who. Uh, Kirk Neuenheis. There's one other outfielder. Oh, uh, Reimer Liriano, Keon Broxton. These are all guys that they're going to sift through this year. They don't want to be good. So why bring up Brett Phillips? But now you're making the Brett Phillips point. I'm making it for you, basically. <laughs> Am I not? Yeah, I, I don't know how strongly I feel because he was not all that great after he joined Biloxi. Right. Especially in terms of power. I think he had one home run at double-A. I, I think he had a wrist injury, too. Mitigating circumstances. Ramon Flores, that's the other outfielder. But these are all guys who make the case for Brett Phillips, really. <laughs> I forget Garen Cicchini, too. But I don't know where he's going to play. 
Uh, I'll forget he... about him. Oh, Michael Reed. I like Michael Reed, yeah. actually. Michael Reed's kind of like a sneakier, deep but pick. right-handed outfielder, long-term, you had to think Phillips. Oh, certainly. And or Santana, but yeah. Long-term. Reed is older, more experienced. Long-term, Phillips over all the guys we just discussed. Short-term, I guess I was, wasn't satisfied that he was going to be a, a, a potential top-20 guy. Uh, other guys who I had on my short list, uh, Michael Givens of the Orioles. What's your take on Michael yeah. Givens? He is really intriguing now that he can get left-handed batters out. Yeah. I think it's just the Orioles' magic. I mean, all their low-slot righties for some reason. Buck oh, Walter. I think Buck is really good at, A, putting those guys in the right situation. They get confident. He uses them consistently. I just think he's really good at using a bullpen. Um, no Andrew Triggs, though. He, he got claimed uh, claim by waivers. He gone. O'Day, there's another low slot. Oh, yeah, he's a submarine for sure. On the Orioles, who, who am I thinking of? No, he is, though. That's Darren O'Day for sure. But, but there's the, one don't other, they have another guy? I would imagine that they do. They, well, yeah, I just I know that he's just maximized. I mean, like, Brian Mattis was a total zero for them in their starting rotation. They've made him into a useful relief pitcher. Zach Britton mm-hmm. didn't just transition from a starter to a reliever to a, to a dominant reliever. So Bucks done a nice job in general handling their pitchers, starting and relieving, and Mm-hmm. You know, getting them to the playoffs a couple times without a true ace right. in the rotation. Um, you mentioned Aaron Blair. What'd you think of some of these other starting pitchers, the John Gray, Archie Bradley uh, class uh, of pitchers? And is there another pitcher, maybe even on this board, Sean Newcomb, we mentioned? Um, that's not a pitcher, that's Bill Ho Park. Jose De Leon, we wound up ranking. Julio Urias, we did not. Marco Gonzalez, we did not. Tim Cooney, any of those guys really strike your fancy? You know, I think Gray has the raw pitches to succeed. You know, he's. I agree. It's it's been really a, a very uh, I don't know the word stratified pro career for him. He's he's really good or really bad. And he's really underwhelmed. When he's been bad, he's been really bad. He and Mark Appel are just so similar in that regard, and we did features on both players. In the latest issue of Baseball America, uh, our correspondents, uh, Jim Salisbury on Mark Appel and uh, Jack Ekin on John Gray, detailed how both players uh, really have kind of uh, struggled to find their way as pros. There were a couple things in Jack's story about John Gray that really struck me. Um, and it was Darren Holmes talking about how they've tried to clean up John Gray's delivery. Here's uh, Holmes talking about it. He had a lot of moving parts. What we did was clean it up, put him in position where he lifts his leg. He's loading as he lifts instead of lifting his leg and having to swing it back to load. So he simplified his gather over the rubber. That should help him both in his velocity, which he doesn't need any help with, but he has lost velocity from college to pro ball. And he's gone from a guy who was sitting 97 and touching 100 as a college starter to sitting 92-93 and reaching 95-96 as a pro. Um, he no longer swings his leg lift back, so his weight is not on his heel. He's got a little bit better balance. Uh, he used to miss arm sight a lot. So if you're a Rockies fan or you're just a fan and you're watching John Gray for signs in the Rockies' big league rotation this year that he's going to have a good year, see how much he's missing arm side, especially arm siding up. If he's not doing that, then he's made the adjustments that the Rockies wanted him to make. And didn't you dig in the data last year and find that his slider was still quite an effective pitch for him at the big league level? Yeah, swings and misses at a well above average rate. So I still like John Gray's potential right. to be a guy who pitches with two-plus pitches 
and a show-me change-up and could be an effective rookie starter even in that ballpark. Yeah, and that's I think that's the big – the environment is always the big question you have with any – but maybe he makes more than half of his starts in the other parks. <laughs> that would be helpful for his overall numbers. I will say it would be really hard for me to see us ever ranking a Rockies pitcher in the top 20 rookies just because of the environment. How about Trevor Story? We discussed him. Yeah. Are you are you bullish on Trevor Story or not so much? <sighs> He's a tough one. Yeah. Who's a major leaguer who he, he reminds you of? Major league shortstop. Oh, that's a good question. Uh, Brandon Wood. <laughs> that comp gives me pause. <laughs> yeah, he kind of in that same family of players, isn't he? Yeah. Swinging miss shortstop, who has juice. So, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Jose Hernandez is yeah. not in the big leagues anymore. Yeah. But, yeah, truly. Yeah, I mean, Jose Hernandez's strikeout rate was seen as gigantic, but it's probably, I don't know, like 18% or something. Like, where now it's 33. Jose Hernandez, who last year was in, 19, was in 2006. <laughs> so, not exactly a contemporary comp either. I'm just, but that was a guy who played a lot of positions and played shortstop. Who's the most striking outest shortstop right now? Oh, that would be a plain I mean, index I, question. I guess it? Ian Desmond, if you, if you want to be optimistic. And see, he has some approximations to Desmond, but mostly it's the strikeouts and the power. Mm-hmm. He's not nearly as physical or athletic to me as Ian Desmond. He's athletic. He's not as physical. Um, an offensive, maybe he could be a Brian Dozier type if you wound up playing more second base. Second base, yeah. You know, low average power. Right. Strikeouts, that kind of guy. His opportunity will come at shortstop for the Rockies. If he makes the Rockies and if he becomes one of our top 20 rookies by the end of the year, it's going to be at shortstop because of Jose Reyes's Jose Reyes-ness. <laughs> his offseason problems, his on-the-field issues the last couple of years, his declining uh, – his decline. He just has a – that's a guy who's really declined over the last three seasons pretty significantly. Um, anyone else on this list though who who struck your fancy oh, man, injured lo- pitchers like Kyle Zimmer or Dylan Bundy? Either of those guys you like? Uh, where's Cody Reed on this list? He's up there. He's right there, and that was when I could not believe that JJ Cooper was not all about Cody Reed. That's the red most likely to break through this year. I He's having so. a great spring. I think so. I, you know, as tough as it's going to be to unseat Kavius Sampson in the, <laughs> in the rotation. <laughs> no, really. I mean, the Reds have what they have. Iglesias, they have Desclafani, and I think they signed Alfredo Simon. Did they really? I didn't miss yeah. that. But aside from those three, and who the, am I forgetting? Well, they have Bailey, but he'll not be back until... Loren, I don't know if Lorenzen's in the rotation or in the bullpen, plus he's injured now. Desclafani, Iglesias, Lamb, Moscott, Finnegan. Yeah, see, I like Cody Reed a lot in, the, in light he's of this. He's better than all those jokers. And Stevenson, you know, uh, we'll see. I, 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 I mean, like him. Yeah, I don't see I don't see a whole lot of competition for the Reds. I mean, the more I'm looking at it, the more I'm thinking, why didn't we rank Cody Reed? I wasn't here pounding the table. That's it. That's all we miss it. Hey, how about former Villanova right hander Kyle McMine? I like that name. He's on. He's he's in the he's in camp for them. Nice. Rule five lefty Chris O'Grady. Okay. Um, yeah, Kiva Sampson, Jonathan Sanchez, former Coastal Plain League top ten prospect uh, Lane Somson out of South Dakota State. <laughs> I love reading rosters and having things <laughs> click in my head like that. Yeah, it's it's a it's a scene, man. Which which tanky? Uh, 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 whose tank are you more uh, on here, Matt? I gotta admit, I'm not 
too impressed by the Reds' tank so far. I do like that they're building with pitchers, though. Uh, I like I like Reed and Stevenson, and um, Finnegan could be interesting. Even Lamb, to an extent. you know. Could... To, yeah, to an extent. Uh, Amir Garrett. I mean, I think the Reds have a lot of pitching pieces that could pan out. I'm sort of the Braves. Which which uh, which which veteran red besides with Votto off the table because his contract's so high, and Brandon Phillips because he's already rejected all the other trades. Which red big leaguer would you try to you know? Uh, uh, which who's car? Who would you try to pick off the, the carcass of the Reds if you were a contender? Who would you try to go out and get? Would it be Jay Bruce or would it be Zach Cozart or one uh, of the? I was gonna say Cozart because he is a, a rare defender. I think there's more. More hitters like Bruce than there are shortstops like Kozar, even though he can't hit really at all. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, but now he can play shortstop on a playoff team. Yeah. He's shown that. And I think they're going with Suarez at third, right? More more so than shortstop. Eugenio Suarez, yes, I believe that's correct. But yeah, Bruce would also be a good one. He's going to get paid more because he hits home runs. So if you're budget conscious, I would say Kozar. Yeah, that is just not a good looking big league ball club. Uh, and they know it. Obviously. Scott Schebler. Chance to, chance to rake in their outfield. Maybe we should have listed him. We did discuss Jesse Winker. He's not up here. Um, we probably should have brought up Schebler. He's a, he's a sneaky 20 home run candidate this year. Yeah. Even though 20 home runs is actually pretty impressive now. Let's say 15. You know who Schebler kind of overall, I don't think he's quite as good as this, but overall he's kind of got some Corey Dickerson in him, doesn't he? Yeah. Left fielder, a little under the radar. Wasn't a high draft JUCO guy. Yeah. They tick a lot. They check a lot of the same boxes. I think Shebler's more power over hit, mm-hmm. and Dickerson was hit over power. I think Shebler probably is a little bit better defender. But those are mm-hmm. two. And yeah, there's precedent. Shebler has a little sneaky speed too. He he's, he's a not lot a of bad triples. athlete. Yeah. Right, he's not a bad athlete. I agree. Um, and then Matt, I wanted to wrap up by uh, did this story go live. Your manager story. Yeah, we did today. The baseballist. Right. So uh, why don't you sum up for people a little bit what, what the story's about. Yeah, in light of the, some of the historic managerial talent leaving the game in recent years, Bobby Cox and, and, and Tony La Russa, Joe Torre, you might have heard of these guys. Yeah, basically five, well, three guys who are in the Hall of Fame in Cox, La Russa, and Torre. And then two guys, as you pointed out, who were, A, managerial fixtures for basically 30 or, I mean, like for... For, for uh, Jim Leland, from 1986 through 2014, this guy was a big league manager with maybe one or two years in between where he wasn't a manager. So what is that, close to 30, close to 30 years? years? yeah. And Pinella... Had been managing since the late 80s? Yeah, had been in the big leagues basically since 1969. I mean, as a player or right. a coach or manager. So that's a long time to be around the game. Yeah, I think had one of Lou's uh, Mariners teams broken through, I think it would view them differently, but... He broke through to win 116 games, but the, yeah. play, the playoff <laughs> success that he got with a 90-win team in Cincinnati eluded him with all those great players in Seattle. Yeah. So I think, if, and what I did is I lined it up with um, the old Bill James Hall of Fame monitor. So it's a weighted scoring system, eight points for a World Series victory, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, as it turns out, Leland and Pinella fall just short of uh, qualifying under that system. That's fascinating. Though. Which is what we kind of, just like historic, I, I would just think of both of them as just shy. Yeah. You know? Whereas the other three sail way past the threshold. Or just some of the best managers ever, literally. I mean, they're three, four, and five and wins all time. I was, I was about to say modern, 
post so 1961 on expansion era, what you and I would call the common era of Major League Baseball. Is one of these three guys the number one manager of all time for you? And if so, who? Who is your best manager of that era? Wow. I think for me, you kind of have to give it to La Russa. And to me, it's grudging. But you have to give it to Tony La Russa. He changed the game the way bullpens are handled. He was open to incorporating analytics. He may have done it grudgingly, but he did it. He won three World Series, right? Yeah. American League, National League. He won as a young manager. He won as an old manager. He won in the early 80s with speed. He won in the steroid era with the steroid team. That's the only taint on him to me is Oakland. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Tony La Russa, I don't know him personally. I'm not a fan of his persona. But I think Tony La Russa has the best resume of any of these guys personally. Yeah. And some of his Cardinals teams that were great, like the 04 and 05 teams, right. didn't win the World Series. But then he... He managed teams that were probably less talented than their opponents. Two titles in 06 right. and 2011. And and just um, and was so consistent. I mean, those A's teams to go to three straight right. playoffs and then four to five years only. They missed it in, I guess, 1991. I think so, yeah. But they went to the playoffs again in 92. And they when they were beaten, so they were beaten by Hershiser's Dodgers. Which, that was one of the flukier World Series of all time, but... A singular performance by by her Oral Hershiser in this post in that post. He's the Madison Bumgarner of his world. Right, series. that's right. And then in 1990, they lost to this very unique Reds team with that killer bullpen. Um, 92, they lost to a Blue Jays team that was going on the back to back World Series. His Cardinals teams lost to usually good teams in the playoffs, like they lost to the Diamondbacks who won a World Series. They lost to the Red Sox in 2004 when everything was going the Red Sox way. I mean, his consistency is just mind-boggling. So for me, he's the best modern manager ever. That's what I would pick as well, yes. So can Bruce Bochy, who's number one on your active list, and I think is that's by acclamation, not just by the formula, can yeah. Bruce Bochy catch him with all the Padres years dragging him down? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I don't think so. But it is pretty remarkable because Bochy is pretty much the only active manager who's clearly a, a Hall of Fame path. Yeah. You know, I, I, Mike Sosha could get there, I think. I think it would require a kind of re- reversal of fortune. You'd need to get back to his 2000s mojo with the Angels. Yeah, I was surprised not to see him too. I was surprised to see him behind uh, Johnny B. Baker here. According to the formula, yes. Uh, I wonder if they had to be Dodgers teammates at one point. They had to be teammates on the huh. 81 World Series team, maybe. Yep. Um, I would imagine they were. Yeah, but Dusty you know, has the pennant with the 0-2 Giants, and he's you know seven playoff teams, three successful with three different franchises. Probably a fourth this year. I was about to say, that I think that this year kind of will be an uh, important year for both those guys because the Angels you know, had their – was 2014 in J.J. Cooper parlance a dead cat bounce for them when they won 98 games? Because they couldn't sustain it last year. They were off by 15 wins last year. Um, I don't like the trajectory of the Angels. Excuse me. And I think that, to me, Mike Socha's best comp is Mike Holmgren. You know, Mike Holmgren was uh, the Packers' head coach, won a World Se- a Super Bowl in 96, <laughs> lost in the Super Bowl in 97, and he still had Brett Favre in his prime. And because Holmgren got more control of the organization, control over the draft, 
control over personnel, all that stuff, he wound up squandering all those years of Brett Favre. And uh, I think Mike Sosha's done the same thing with the Angels. I think he has total control of the organization, and he's squandering the best years of Mike Trout. And it's a shame. So It is. Well, you know, I, I, Mike Trout signed that extension with them. It kind of reminds you of like when David Wright signed with the Mets. Everybody kind of thought, oh, the Mets will never be good again. Yeah. And then he was... Not a key part, but he was in the lineup for them last year. Yep. Uh, I agree. So, you know. I was a little surprised at how low Buck Showalter was. I know. I thought that he would come out higher, but... He doesn't have a lot of black ink. He as, doesn't. As, as you would put in yeah. player terms. Right. Never um, never managed a World Series. That's amazing to me that it he's is. never gone to the World Series. I thought for sure he'd be ahead of Terry Francona because Terry Francona managed... The Phillies to a whole lot of nothing. Yeah. And I guess he's made one playoff appearance with the Indians. Yeah. But they just seem like they've been on the door the last couple of years and not gone through that door. And last year they were frankly a disappointment. Yes. So only one division title for Francona. That must have been what, 05 Red Sox? 07, yeah. 07 Red Sox, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what you, what, is there any path to a Hall of Fame for Francona, you think? Uh, Two World Series titles is pretty loud. It is, yeah, and and his Indians teams are good. I guess it, it, a lot require uh, depends on what he does with the Indians, who are pretty well positioned to be good. I would say. It seems like they should be. <laughs> I mean, they should be. And then if you go further down the list, um... Ned. Wow, Ned Yost over Joe Girardi. Hoochie Mama, I did not expect that. Just based on the point system. I mean, he get eight points for the World Series, five for his pennant. What does he get for getting fired in September? <laughs> with the Brewers? That wasn't part of the formula. <laughs> what does he get for he's... breaking cinder blocks with his bare hands? Did you see that the other day? No. All right, I'm going to let and you he's watch actually, this. He's actually under 500 at both of his the teams he's managed, too, which is interesting. But he has the best postseason record of any active manager. 7-10 winning percentage in the playoffs. That's, that's, that's 2014 and 2015. Well, that's based all, of course, on uh, on Alcides Escobar's <laughs> postseason uh, prowess with the bat, as we saw. Uh, we were talking a little um, a little lineup optimization the other day, and uh, we made sure to... Well, here's the picture. I don't have the video. Is this real? Uh, this is real. He broke a bunch of cinder blocks in camp, cutting his arm in the process. But, yeah, he is... Uh, you know, I actually got to... Um, I got to see Ned this year uh, at the Golden uh, Gold Glove uh, yeah. banquet. I actually rode the elevator with him and just chit-chatted with him for a while. And it was neat. He is just a, such an approachable, good guy. You can see how he could relate to players. But his managing... I mean, you can see why people made fun of him before they won the World Series and probably still do make fun of him. He does some very... Uh, I'm not even sure how to put it. Non-traditional. Not, not well, it's almost like too traditional. It's not traditional now, but it's traditional like 1970s managing. Kind but then, of, but, but the same token, his manage, he manages his pitching staff like a... Right. Like a La Russa time, you know, to the second power or something. You're, yeah, you're right. But, you're right. You know, here, here's the video of him breaking concrete blocks that you, you maybe you have not seen. Wow. But he's a unique guy. <laughs> I mean, he's just a different guy. There's a lot of strength in his hands. Um, the thing that my, I guess my, so I just was surprised that he checked out ahead of Girardi. And then at number eight, 
as a guy who right. I would say I is the biggest challenger to Bruce Bochy for best manager right now, and that's Joe Madden. Right. Um, why did he check out so low? I mean, he has five playoff appearances, but three of them via the wild card. He has uh, the one pennant. He doesn't have a, a, lot of, a lot of this is based on tenure because you get two points for every season. Ah, uh, okay. So he's only 10 years in. I think check back with those 20 extra points for in, in 10 years and he'll be much higher. I liked your best of the rest. Um, <laughs> Mike, got- Mike Matheny is off to a, a, an amazing start. You know, Say what you will about him or, or the talent he's given, but That's an he's managed start. it very well. And he, his early success seemed to beget a lot of copycats of players with very little experience as coaches who became managers. This crop includes Brad Osmus, Robin Ventura, the aforementioned Robin, Robin Ventura. Um, they're obviously uh, Matt Williams. Yes. Asked and answered counselor. <laughs> Craig Council? Craig Council, right. That's right. I just sent him some uh, prospect handbooks. to. But who could not love Craig Council? He and his right-hand man, Pat Murphy, my main man. And with his college coaching, uh, college of coaches is what they had called it with the Cubs in the early 60s. He just has college coaches. Pat Murphy is his bench coach. And uh, Derek Johnson, former Vanderbilt pitching coach, is his big league pitching coach now. Um, what do you think of that crew of the uh, the uh, the pitch the players almost directly to managers? Uh, do you think, do you get the impression that front offices like that dynamic because they're closer in age to the players, so they can relate better? Like there's more of a generation gap now than maybe there used to be. Huh? Um, or maybe they're more receptive to data. I think it's the latter. To me, that's what that's my impression is that. They're, all those guys either played and that they've had after their playing career, they at least had a little bit of experience like special assistant or scout or a special coach, that kind of stuff. And maybe they didn't run a lineup. I think that managing a bullpen and a lineup, it feels like A, lineups are determined more and more by front offices these days than managers. It's an organizational outlook to a lineup where the manager – has to get in line with those analytics. And if they don't, either they're sent the boot or the general manager is in, in Jerry DePoto's case. Um, so I think, that, I think it's really that, that relatable openness to the new data and uh, openness to the game the way it is right now. Uh, so we do um, uh, call out the Padres for hiring Andy Green, the guy who managed the minors. Yeah. And uh, has some major league coaching experience, I believe. Chip Hale, too. Both those also guys. Also a great source for us in the Southern League in years past. Yeah, both those guys were Chip Diamondbacks Hale. coaches, yep. uh, managers at Double A and Triple A, who were great. Just, they just, I always get the sense with both those guys that they respected what we did. They knew what we were looking for when we called about these kind of things. And they were good evaluators. Yes. Uh, I hope they were both good evaluators of players, but also like knew to talk about makeup. That's that's the that's our best window um, for our prospect reports into makeup is the league top twenties because you're talking to pitching coaches, you're talking to managers, hitting coaches. If you have time, you're talking to all those kind of guys in the league. And you're not getting organization spin. Exactly. You're getting a you're getting more of a unbiased opinion. That's right, especially if you catch up at the right time, the right uh, <clears throat> on, on, and they're not on a bus. If they're home, they're in the clubhouse or they're driving to the ballpark early in the morning. That's why I try to get my guys in the Florida State League hmm. 11 o'clock in the morning. That's my, that's my sweet spot, 11 to 1. I try to call after they've had their morning workout, before they go to lunch, or right when they're going to lunch, usually in their car. 
Interesting. Usually commuting. <laughs> I put way too much freaking thought into this stuff. But that's my window where I try to call guys, and I want to get them when they're in the car and they're they're alone. And then you get guys uh, permission to speak freely, sir. They, and it's granted, and they speak freely. And that's where you get your best read on makeup, in my mind. Top thirty time, it's just harder. Yes. You know, um, it's just harder. It's harder for out for pro scouts to read makeup of players who are not in their organization, and the off season, it's just harder to get a read from the scouting director, farm director, assistant GMs. These kind of guys, they're not going to generally share that kind of information. So, uh, I always thought that those two guys, among others, were really great sources for that kind of thing. And I, I like the Padres hire of uh, Vandy Green. I like the Diamondbacks hire of Chip Hale. Yeah. Um, and I'll go off the off the cuff to end it. Uh, not not planned. But who'd you think? Uh, who's a modern? Who's an active player? Who you could think of being a good good manager? Like, do you think AJ Przinsky is too much of a red ass to be a manager? Could <laughs> could AJ get the job done? Who's who's a guy or who's a guy who you've even seen even in the minor leagues? Like a veteran minor league, like Craig Albernaz, who could be a future what, big league manager. What about somebody like Jose Molina? Yeah, you see that's that? Yeah, I could see one of the Molinas. Yeah, because for sure, or Yadier, even way in the future. But Jose is at an age, and I could definitely see that. Where? How about you? Yeah, well, I like. The, well, first, I like the bilingual less uh, aspect of those guys. Sure. You know, active player. I was just realizing as I was actually asking the question, I was like, oh, I don't know if I have an answer to this myself. Yeah, you got to think catchers first. That, that's where I'm. That, that's where I'm trying to go. You know, it is interesting how you have a couple of these guys, like a John Farrell, who's a pitcher. I'd love to find out who's that pitcher who could manage. Honestly, the first guy who comes to mind is Dan Heron, who just retired <laughs> because he did hit in college. Hmm. He played a long time, a lot of different teammates. He was a little unconventional. Um, I also think he seems like he has a sense of humor. I can't imagine managing without a sense of humor. Although most of these guys seem awfully serious. You know, uh, maybe a little too serious. But that guy, uh, and this is, I, I guess it'd be a better question just for somebody who's actually around the clubhouses all the time. It's just something I don't have a great feel for. Um, not a big, I have never had that, that long clubhouse presence. Dave Ross, isn't he brought up sometimes? He's brought up all the time. That's a great call. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of almost hope, hope we get him as a broadcaster instead as a, you know, the game really needs a, a color, it's the color analyst. We right now we're getting John Smoltz, who's the color analyst we need. Yes. I don't know if he's the color analyst that we want, but I think he's well. He's good, but I like him. I I do like him. I think he's an upgrade on what we've had previously. But um, yeah, the catcher who could be a future big league manager. Russell Martin, is he? Do you think you see him? I, I don't see him as a manager. You know, I don't see it. You know, really like, connect to the Canadian some team. Oh, my, oh, I don't know. <laughs> you know the guy who uh, you know the guy who I used to think who would do it who's not doing it is Dan Wilson. Yeah. I thought Dan Wilson was like a glue guy on a team of superstars. He had to know what made Ichiro and A Rod and Griffey play with all those guys. Randy Johnson. He caught Jamie Moyer and he caught Randy Johnson. I mean, really, you know, he had to. I, I thought he was perfectly set up to be that kind of guy, but. Instead of the other Minnesota guy, uh, Paul Molitor, instead of Minnesota Golden Gopher alum, Dan Wilson, who became a, mm-hmm. a big league manager. Maybe Brent Gates is out there somewhere going to manage sometime. Just thinking of other Minnesota guys. Um, I mean, like Sal Perez. Could you see Sal Perez doing it down the line? Or is he uh, <laughs> almost too gregarious to be a big league manager? <laughs> Interesting. Is there, I can give you a hint. Is there a Venezuelan? Ozzy Guillen? Ozzy Guillen. I'll give you a hint. Here's one. 
Uh, Red's official told me last week that when Devin Mesoranco was hurt last year, mm-hmm. that he's such a big BA fan that this was one of the reasons, but he's a Baseball America subscriber apparently and loves the draft. And because he was injured, he spent the draft week in the draft room with the, with the Reds breaking down video, reading scouting reports, and helping the Reds prepare for their draft. Nobody. So there's a guy who, as a catcher, who's lived his life in the game, didn't go to college. I can see Devin Mezzarocco being a guy who's, who gets into the game either in a front office or managerial aspect. I mean, but like, who's the next A.J. Hinch? You know, that kind of guy? That's a, that's a tough call. The erudite player who played the big leagues and A.J. Hinch, clearly his, the great thing you have to say about A.J. Hinch is that he's learned from his failures in the past, which is what a player is supposed to do. And he's also done as a field manager for managing in the past, being a farm director and assistant GM. He's got a great resume right now. He's done so many things in the game. Yeah. And it seems like it really has helped him um, relate to players. He can relate as, relate as a player. He can relate from his failures as a manager. Now the success he's had as a manager, he clearly has bought into the analytics side with the Astros. That wound up being a great hire by Jeff Luno in Houston. So he might be a guy who could appear on that list 10 years from now. And Kevin Cash, I think as well. It's kind of a similar story uh, mm-hmm. to A.J. Hinch. And Florida State's not Stanford academically, but uh, you know, I'm not going to try to. But, but Kevin strikes me as a, as a bright guy and a guy who could also make that happen in, uh, in Tampa. Good stuff, though, Matt. I always enjoy having podcasts with you. We'll be back next week. I'm sure JJ will be back. And uh, next week we might have to record a little bit earlier because of the National High School Invitational uh, will be going on this time next week in uh, over in Cary. Matt, we might even draft you into covering some high school baseball next week. Watch out. <laughs> you might get sucked into the, to the, uh, to the NHSI. So for Matt Eddy, for our sponsor, SeatGeek, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.